This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. There's so many great benefits to eating eggs. Those eggs that are found at the grocery store shelves are looked after, those hens are looked after by farmers like myself. You know, there's about over 400 egg farm families in Ontario, and each of those farms is looked after, maintained, managed every day, each and every day by hardworking families like myself. It's our passion. It's why we wake up in the morning. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we'll learn about the health benefits of eggs. We'll find out why the way most people approach workouts is all wrong. We'll also learn about kitchen essentials. And lastly, we'll discuss how we talk about death. But first, a little bit of business. Now that summer has given way to the 9 to 5 grind, Tabasco and Egg Farmers of Ontario have created delicious breakfast recipes for seven days of eggs, showing Canadians how to shake up their workweek breakfasts. With seven different sauces, it's easy to spice up a scramble or heighten the flavor of a ho-hum sandwich for different eggs every day of the week. To get you started, Tabasco and Egg Farmers of Ontario are giving away five prizes of $1,000 in groceries. Visit tabascosauce.ca for contest details and to find quick, delicious, and nutritious breakfast recipes, including some that are perfect for meal prepping for even the busiest of mornings. There aren't a lot of people who can say they help feed Ontario, but Tanya Haverkamp is one of them. As a third-generation egg farmer, she manages and operates the egg farm that her family has spent three generations and counting running in southwest Ontario. Welcome to The Tonic. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So I'm super excited because I am an amateur egg farmer of some sort, not on the scale that you're telling me your family (laughs) farms eggs, but I had three chickens in my backyard. You've got to start somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. We started and finished with three. Because That's I w- even better. Because nobody was helping. But I thought it was an interesting exercise. And it was really sort of, for a city boy like me, it mm-hmm. was really interesting to see where the eggs were coming from and you know how they're actually literally grown. Yeah. Uh, it's a fascinating process. These poor little chickens making eggs. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of amazing. And you live that. And you know the benefits of eggs. Uh, for sure. I'm, I'm, So let's talk about that. What are the benefits of eating a good breakfast that might include an egg? For sure, there's so many great benefits to eating eggs. Not only is the egg healthy and nutritious and affordable with 6 grams of protein, 14 key nutrients, and only 70 calories, those eggs that are found at the grocery store shelves are looked after, those hens are looked after by farmers like myself. You know, there's about over 400 egg farm families in Ontario, and each of those farms is looked after, maintained, managed every day, each and every day by hardworking families like myself. It's it's our passion. It's why we wake up in the morning. You know, we like to wake up, have eggs for breakfast, and then head into the barn and check on the hens and make sure they've got lots of feed, lots of water. And then we start collecting our eggs And after that. Yeah. And, and, you know, being a city boy, I didn't have a lot of experience with you know, animals like chickens, but mm-hmm. once I did get them, like you grow attached to them. Like I, I think it would be impossible for you to work on a farm the way you do without 
developing some sort of attachment to the animals, right? I mean, the, for sure, it's, you want to take care of them. Exactly. They're our livelihood. And it's not only an attachment we get for them, but it's a passion that we have for caring for animals. You know, we feed them, each hen will eat about a yogurt container of feed a day, so about yeah. 100 grams of feed, and they'll drink about 250 milliliters of water, so half a water bottle, and they'll naturally produce about one egg a day. Yeah. So you said they're amazing creatures and we don't take that for granted and, and taking care of them, that truly is our life passion. Yeah, it, it was weird for me to experience like a little chicken and the layers are not big like the ones that you would eat, right? It's a different breed and yep. it's amazing. In their first year, they're already producing eggs and one a day is a lot. They're not having a baby once a day, but they're <laughs> they're producing. And some what some days we would get more than one egg from the chicken. Which, oh, you guys w- would. Which, which blew my mind. Oh, wow. Well, you must be doing something right there because, yeah, we'll get about one egg a day. So it takes about 24 to 26 hours for a hen to produce her egg. So what was happening when I got the second egg? What's going on <laughs> Maybe there? Maybe you should be giving me some tips here, Jamie. <laughs> I don't know about that. So, so most of the time, my listeners know that I have oatmeal for breakfast. And that's really, I'm a stickler for my breakfast, okay. but, but mm-hmm. when I have to change it up and particularly when I go to workout and I'm doing strength training, mm-hmm. I will have poached eggs. Perfect. Right. That's, that's the perfect thing to have, right? It is. It is. And there's so many different ways to make your eggs, not even just for morning for your breakfast, but for brunch or for supper. You know, there's so many different recipes at getcracking.ca. And one way you can jazz up your poached egg is with the Tabasco sauce. Right. There's seven different flavors of Tabasco out there and from a green sauce that's a little bit milder to something else with a bit more pizzazz to it, there's lots of different ways to jazz them up. Right. We actually work with a chipotle, uh, the chipotle Tabasco, which is very nice and it's very good if you want to make like chili and things like that. But it's it's great on eggs too. Yeah. I actually put a little espalette pepper on eggs if I don't have sauce. But but do you have some recipes that you might want to share? Yeah, for sure. There's lots of great recipes. So there's a Louisiana shakshuka. So I might say suggest that for supper time. A Louisiana shakshuka. Yeah, yeah. Shakshuk's Middle, e- Middle Eastern, right? It is. So it's a recipe with tomatoes and peppers and uh, tomato sauce. And then you get all your different vegetables and you make little pockets in it. And then you can... Um, hard cook your eggs in the little pockets. Right, like you're, you're poaching it instead of poaching yes, it in water. You're using you're, the You're sauce. using the tomatoes and then it forms a sauce that you can eat it with pita bread and it's a classic Middle Eastern way For of sure. eating eggs. For sure, and the, the smell in your kitchen when you're cooking it is amazing. <laughs> so you add you add the Tabasco into the into the shakshuk. Yeah, exactly, yep. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> and then yeah. another one that would be good to make is an egg muffin. So with these egg muffins, you can prepare it the night before or make a bunch on the weekend and then you can stick them in the fridge or the freezer and then they're ready to go for you the next morning so you can pop it in the microwave and whether you toast up your bagel or your egg uh, egg muffin and then you're good to go for the morning. Oh, so you mean like a certain fast food place that is famous for their muffin. That's the type of muffin. Because yes. in, in my head, I was thinking, is it an egg flavored muffin that you put in muffin tins? No. No, no. Yeah. it's little egg patties. Yeah. Little egg patties. So I do this thing and, you know, this is sort of, it's demonstrating how some of my cooking is pretty lowbrow. I call it I call it cheesy eggs a la Jamie. So oh. like so it's it's a half scramble. So like you're not completely scrambling yep. your eggs, but you mix in the cheese with it mm-hmm. and you fry it up in a pan and essentially it's one egg per person. So you can make a number at once. Yep. But you cook it free form so that you're almost at the omelet stage and oh, okay. then you kind of create little mounds of it so that it's not quite as 
formulated as you might get at a certain fast food place. I see. But then you can put it on toast or a bagel, whatever you might have. Yep, very good. And, and like, and hot sauce goes amazing with that. <laughs> exactly. There's so many different ways to spice up your eggs in the morning and, and throughout the day, really. Okay, so what, what other advice would you have? What other types of recipes are there? Uh, another one that would be good is buffalo pulled pork eggs. Or you could use beef if you had pot roast the night before or pulled pork the night before. Just save some of your leftovers from the meat. Um, jazz it up with the Tabasco sauce. Mix up some eggs and potato and you get yourself a hash. And that's an excellent option for the morning Oh, as a, well. hash with, a hash with leftovers? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. And even if you have leftover potatoes from the night before, it's there's so many different ways you can... Think about cooking with your eggs, not just your traditional eggs and bacon. You know, there's so many different ways. Well, you know, what we've been doing, and I don't know whether this is something that you've tried. There's a lot of Korean dishes that use eggs. Okay, no. So if you have leftover rice, what you can do is you take the leftover rice and then you can fry it up in a little bit of oil with some ginger and some green onions. Mm-hmm. And then you could take kimchi, which you can buy in the store. Okay. Uh, at least you can buy at the store in Toronto. And you mix that in with the rice so that you kind of have a base. Yep. And then again, you can go with perhaps a poached egg or even a sunny side up egg as a finishing. On you know, the top the, uh, there. Yeah, on top. And it kind of like all the yolks kind of melt down in and it gets all unctuous. But <laughs> but but with the kimchi, uh, which is spicy, mm-hmm. uh, it works really nicely. But if you didn't have kimchi, you could certainly use like a Tabasco sauce. Exactly. Uh, yeah, with with sure. the rice and do it that way. Yeah. And then there's also lots of different recipes at tabascosauce.ca. And then with that, if folks want to go there, we're giving away five prizes of $1,000. So if people want to purchase a dozen eggs and then a bottle of Tabasco sauce, they can go online and submit their name and maybe they could win a prize of $1,000. So what's the website again that they're going to? TabascoSauce.ca or GetCracking.ca will get you there. Both of them will. Any purchase required? Yeah, uh, just your dozen eggs and then one of the seven jars of Tabasco sauce. Okay, so... Now when I go and I do the shopping for my family, mm-hmm. so there's all kinds of different eggs that you can get. There's some with omega, yeah. and then there's different sizes, obviously. And then, for sure. And then there's also brown eggs versus white eggs. Yeah. So help me out here. <laughs> What's the difference between brown eggs and white eggs? It's just, it's just the chicken. It's, it's for the sure. Co- it's just the color of the chicken that exactly. laid the egg, right? Yeah, that's the most common question we get when we volunteer, whether it's the Royal Winter Fair, the C&E. My husband and I were there this summer. And what's the difference between a white and brown egg is a brown egg comes from from a brown hen and a white egg comes from white hen. Same exact nutrient content. Which was so, my next question. Yeah, exactly. So whether you buy a free run egg, a free range egg, a nest laid egg, your conventional large grade A egg, a brown egg, they all have the same nutrient content. The only way you're going to get something different is if you purchase an omega-3 egg. Right. So that hen, she's been fed flaxseed in her diet. So therefore the flax makes the egg have extra vitamin D and that's how you get your omega-3. Do you know what I found with the omega-3 eggs is the shell is a little bit different. Oh, yeah? It's a a little more fragile. You have to be a little bit more careful when you use the omega-3. For whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be as hard. Oh, okay. Like, I don't taste the difference in the egg. Yeah, yeah. It's just a little bit different in the shell. Texturally, it's just a little bit different. And then people will also notice that the brown eggs, they're more tougher to crack. Yes, they are. So two things with the brown eggs is the brown eggs cost a little bit more at the grocery store because she eats more feed, so it costs a farmer more to have brown hens in her barn. And then the more feed means 
means the shell's a little bit harder to crack. So when I had my three hens, they were laying brown eggs. Yeah. And they were pigs. They were. They were eating. <laughs> they would eat. They would eat anything. They got. And, and sometimes the food we left them and it wasn't enough, and we would let them roam around the backyard. Yeah. But then they would get into all sorts of my vegetables. <laughs> For That's sure. That's really why they had to go. That yep. and the fact I wasn't getting any help. <laughs> so you were you were talking about different types of eggs, the ones that are from the nest and the free range and the free run. Yes. And and. For me, when I'm looking at them, I want to know the difference. So so maybe you could take us through that. For sure. So that's how the hens are housed. So as egg farmers, we want to provide all different kinds of options for consumers. So that means providing nest laid eggs. So on our farm, we have an enriched system. So they have a nesting box that they can lay their egg in. And they, is there straw in it? Like a, like a real nest? It's or? got like a nest-like material because okay. we want to keep it as clean and tidy and possible in the barn environment as we can. So it's just like a nesting material that doesn't gotcha. get very dirty. So in the enriched system, she's got the nesting box she can use. She's got the perch she can stand on and a little bit more room she can move around. But yet they're still in smaller colonies because, you know, the saying birds of a feather flock together. So yes. that's a nice option for them. There are other options. And there is something called a pecking order. For sure. For right? sure. There's leaders. I had one. Yeah. She was the, the boss fa- hen. The boss hen. And she was the <laughs> fastest. We called her Flojo because, <laughs> because she was way faster at running away than, sorry, I digress. <laughs> that's okay. So hens, when they first come in into the barn, they figure out their pecking order. And if we have the hens up off the ground, they can figure that out. And then the other ones sort of fall in line. So your boss hen is always going to be your boss hen. And the other ones will figure out the rest from there. So the boss hen would always eat first and then the other ones, the weaker ones might wait and then they feed. So they are animals and we want to treat them and give them the best lives that we can possible. So as as my personal choice, I believe that an enriched system is the best for our hens. But there are other options. You know, there's hens that have access to outdoors depending on the weather. You know, we live in... Canada. Right. So the weather's not always the greatest, but, and then there's um, aviary styles where they can kind of climb and stand on perches and that type of stuff. But there's lots of different options and whatever you feel as a consumer is the best way to purchase your eggs, we're going to provide it for you. Okay. So you've explained what the nest eggs are. Yeah. So what is the difference between free run and free range? So free range has access to outdoors and free run are hens that are just on the floor, still in a barn shelter. So they're away from predators, um, safe from environmental problems or I don't know if your hens ever got sick, but there is viruses that hens can pick up and they get sick. So when they're in in the barn structure, they're able to stay away from that. It's biosecurity for our hens. Oh, so free run doesn't mean they're outside. It just, no. mean, it just means they're not in the like a small contained area the entire day. Yeah, they're they're on the floor as opposed to going outside. And free range does that speak to their diet as well, or is it just the ability for them to get outside? So depending again on the weather, if they can get access to the grass and whatever is roaming. <laughs> around out there, bugs, that type of stuff. So free range would have access to that where free run wouldn't. Okay. And last question along this line is organic versus inorganic. So what what does that refer to if it's not referring to like nest or being free run or free range? So that's what the hen eats. Okay. So it would be organic corn, organ- organic soybeans, organic wheat. The diet is organic. So what she eats therefore makes her, her eggs organic. Okay. So with sizes, when we're talking about recipes, it's standard large eggs, yep, right? Exactly. And there's extra large. Is there another size that people can buy? It depends on your grocery store. Like when the hens first start laying eggs, they're peewee eggs, and then they'll transition into small, medium, large, extra large. So depending on the age of the hen and what is available at your local store, but I would go with your traditional large egg if you're doing a, a recipe. 
For baking and, and such. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Do you have any other tips for buying eggs? Like, for buying eggs? Just one thing to note is eggs are graded by weight and not by size. Ah. So next time you purchase a dozen eggs, take a look at them. They might vary in size, but they're all the same weight. And so when they're being processed, they're being weighed to determine whether or not they meet the threshold? Yeah, exactly. So different classes of eggs, so medium, large, extra large, have weights to them and not sizes. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought <laughs> I thought it was like circumference or actually volume as opposed to weight. Yeah, it's the weight. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we only have one more minute left. And I think you've told us everything we need to know about <laughs> eggs. So I think we, with the last little part, uh, I know you're also here to discuss the Tabasco sauce. Mm-hmm. So uh, which of the sauces, uh, I, you said there were seven. So there's traditional. I talked about the chipotle. What else is there? I personally like the green one. My right. taste buds aren't as... Is that I, the jalapeno? or It's it's the, it's just a green one. So it's not quite as, as spicy, I guess you milder. could say. A little bit milder. Yeah, my taste buds are not very advanced. So I prefer that one. But yeah, there's lots of different uh, sauce recipes. And again, they can go to either tabascosauce.ca or getcracking.ca and purchase a dozen eggs, your jar of Tabasco sauce, and maybe win $1,000. Well, that sounds like a great deal. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jamie. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss why your workout is all wrong on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Vital Directives is a center committed to helping people ignite their innate healing power and remove the barriers of fear that keep them in pain. Through changing their clients' mindset and teaching them to connect with their body, the Vital Directives step-by-step process helps them focus, feel safe, and get immediate relief. Their process involves removing the physical limitations induced by chronic pain while creating personalized, high-level self-care and preventative measures. They believe that significantly reducing chronic pain is just the first step. Through powerful physical exercises and mindset shifts, coupled with solid support system, they inspire people to transform from the inside out. For more information, visit their website at vitaldirectives.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Roxandra Mitria is a mind-body coach, author, and the founder of Vital Directives, a leading center for vibrant and healthy living, preventative health, wellness, growth, and rejuvenation. The Vital Directives tagline, Awaken Your Body, Celebrate Life, is her motto. She has an unwavering belief in each person's inherent capacity for healing. Having had her own experience with the limitations created by chronic pain, she created a unique process that allowed her to heal her body. Roxandra has dedicated her professional life to teaching her clients the process that will ignite their innate healing capacity, significantly reducing chronic pain while developing the skills to create and maintain pain-free active lives. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jamie. It's so great to be here. Yeah, well, you know, we've discussed it before that I have wonky Achilles 
And lately I went and I did it. And because I didn't take a hit class and I needed to do something, I went for a run and I injured my knee. And I think maybe it's time that you tell me what I'm doing wrong with my workout so that I can fix it. So these things don't happen going forward. Mm -hmm. So you've been telling me about your Achilles tendon and the fact that that has been an injury Right. And I, 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 for years, and I, I've even attempted to rehab it, but, you know, there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's never going to be 100%. Okay. So I'm just going to say that it can be. You think so? I truly believe so, because I've seen that in my body, and I've seen that in my clients, and I see that in our clients at Vital Directives all the time. So you wanted me to link a little bit the Achilles tendon issue to your knee. Well, I want to know what's going on. Do you want to know what I typically do in a week? Did, mm-hmm. would, would that help? Sure, why okay, not? Okay, so, so every day I'm walking the dog at least twice a day. So we're looking at anywhere from an hour and a half to an hour and three quarters of walking per day, which is good. Mm-hmm. I also take a number of classes during the week. So one thing that I do is I take a strength class, which is a strength and endurance training class with weights. And then after we do the weights, there's a little bit of uh, aerobic at the end of the class after we've sort of tired ourselves out with the weights. I take at least two HIT classes a week. Okay. Uh, so HIT high interval intensive uh, training, mm-hmm. which is both a mix of aerobic and very sort of quick off and ons. And those classes run anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. And then at least one spin class a week, sometimes two, which are usually 45 to 50 minutes of pure aerobics with strength sort of mm-hmm. involved with the with the spinning. So that's what I do. Okay. So from what you're describing and the fact that your Achilles tendon has been injured and now you have an injury, this is what I can tell you. Of course, I cannot tell you what's happening because I yeah. would have to see how your ankle no. moves and what's happening right. in your body. But just as an a general approach, if there is a discrepancy, uh, not a discrepancy, if there is a misalignment in your ankle and your ankle's mechanics are not what they need to be for best functionality of your ankle, then basically every step you take is creating tension higher up in the body. So this influences, there is a ligament running between the two lower leg bones that gets impacted a lot with any ankle trouble, Achilles tendon trouble. And then if that is not in its best shape, then it affects even more the ankle and above the knee. Right. So now with every step you take, there's some tension that's being created. And maybe by now there's some misalignment in your knee. Yep. And then at some point there is something that the knee cannot sustain it anymore. So I think that probably what you did that day when your knee got injured, uh, it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. I I don't believe that unless we have an accident uh, and we fall, I don't think that an injury like this happens with no reason. I think that there are many factors that lead to that breaking point. And then also the fact that the way all your activities are high impact, yeah, I think that's fair. High intensity, well, except um, walking, okay. And the spinning isn't really high impact. Because okay, so no impact, but high level of activity, yes. high intensity, high yes. energy. Yep. They're all using your muscles at a high, high level, okay, except the walking, to yep. just walk. But then there is no counterbalance to that. 
there's not enough stretching to allow the connective tissues to return to return to their best functionality. So, yes, it's good for the muscles, it's good for your aerobic capacity, for your stamina, for your strength, for your mental state, because aerobic activity and high energy activities are good for good hormone release, you know, so we feel better, we feel happier. But in the same time, we're creating a lot of trouble in other areas of the body because there is no counterbalance to the stress on the joints and to activity of the muscles. So the connective tissue, which is ligaments, tendons, fascia of the muscles, fascia of the organs, fascias around the bones, they're all interconnected and they don't get enough stretching and normalizing after all this level of activity. Do you find with a lot of people that come to you that that's a big problem, that people just aren't stretching enough? Yes, yes, indeed. That, that is a problem. So I, I talked about the connective tissue and not enough stretching, but also all these activities that we do and the fact that we live in a world with gravity and we're <laughs> bipeds, yeah. uh, we're biped, that creates a lot of compression in the joints. So joints end up not having enough room to move. So that contributes to wear and tear. When you say they don't have enough room to move, what do you mean by that? Okay, so as you know, a joint is created by the meeting of two bones. Yes. A joint is there to allow movement, right? So the two bones move in relationship with each other. Right. Now, gravity, tightness, the tissues around the joint become tighter. Yep. So then they pull the bone slightly closer together than what ah. they need to be. So now the space that's necessary for normal movement inside the joint, now it's diminished. So the liquid that we have in, inside the most of joints, the synovial fluid now becomes more viscous. Yes. And then the bones get closer together, they and start the rubbing, grinding. and yep. then we get in serious trouble. Okay. What else are people doing with their workouts that are impacting them to cause pain and inflammation oh, and all these other problems? Jamie, so many things that if people knew how to change, that would make a huge impact in their lives. Well, tell us. Okay, so first of all, people focus on the exercise. They're right. doing the exercise. The exercise doesn't matter how great it is, means nothing. We hmm. need to focus on how our bodies are able to perform the exercise. Okay. So, okay, I'm doing this exercise. What am I feeling? How am I positioning my feet, my knees, my right. legs, my everything? And then the exercise becomes a powerful tool. People can do the same exercise to create more space and better functionality in the body or create to destroy a joint over time. Another thing is, let's take, for example, things like yoga that right. are more static. They're not static because even in yoga, a position keeps expanding, but... People getting in and out of positions without thinking. Yeah. That's where most injuries occur, not in the middle of the exercise. It's like you just move, people move without paying attention to the steps of getting into a certain position and then coming out of it. You know, I find a lot of whatever injuries occur with me, it's either because I haven't warmed up properly or I'm tired at the end of what I'm doing, right? And then that's when, for example, if you're going for a longer run, your footfall becomes a little bit different when you're not paying attention or when you're fatigued. Yes. Um, and that's where I see a lot of injuries happening to me and my contemporaries. Totally. That's what happens. Now, 
not breathing. People yeah. hold their breath. Yeah. And that impacts the way the ribs move, ultimately impacts how the shoulders move since the shoulder blades are on the rib cage and the shoulder yep. joints are in the shoulder blades, you know, like the tailbone yeah. is attached to the nose and so on. <laughs> or they breathe incorrectly. They breathe into their bellies when they're supposed to keep the abdomen more connected or, you know, so that creates troubles too. Then doing their exercises or their routines without taking the time to build awareness first. What do you mean by that? Um, awareness is a 3D image that the brain has about our body in space, about every body part in space. So if the brain doesn't have a clear image of, let's say, of a shoulder or the pelvis or the knee, then you cannot self-correct. Right. Because you don't have a clear connection to that body part. Then we can go from there and dehydration. Right. We're exercising when you're dehydrated. The connective tissue is not malleable enough. You can get injured that way. Doing the wrong type of exercise for your body type or for your body condition. Strong people who have a lot of muscle mass like to do more of that without stretching enough. There's no counterbalance. Very flexible people just continue doing stretching exercises. And that takes the body even more out of alignment, even more out of its best functionality. So if we're not operating under our best functionality, what sort of problems can we, can we be looking at in the long run? The big umbrella for everything is wear and tear, consistent, sustained wear and tear that keeps adding up year after year after year. So you know, we have a, an ankle injury, a knee injury. We yep. don't really do what we need to do to restore the full functionality of those joints. Later on, the hip will give or the lower back or, you know, everything in the body is connected. You're so, scaring me. Well, but, you know, it's not about <laughs> scaring people. It's, I think it, it's just a matter of becoming more aware that yeah. we can do so much good with everything we do. And unfortunately, we end up doing all the wrong things when they're... Just a shift in our awareness and understanding can change it all. Okay, so we have time for one really quick, quick question. Okay. And that is, if we're trying to hope to avoid these long-run injuries and wear and tear, mm -hmm. what's the best thing that we could do? Build awareness. Build awareness so you understand how your body works and you get in touch with it. If you don't have really good awareness, someone will have to teach you. That's where we start with this stuff at Vital Direct is because then every single thing, even your walking will be different if your awareness of certain body parts in movement or where you place your feet and your knees will make your walking more effective and healthier for you. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today, but you'll come back and tell us more about this next month, right? I will for sure. Fantastic. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss kitchen essentials on the tonic. Introducing the all-new Ketoplex line of intelligent ketogenic solutions, including MCT-8X by NuvoCare Health Sciences. Not only will it effectively transition your body into ketosis, the body's fat-burning state, it will also be your secret weapon to beat those uncomfortable side effects known as keto flu. Try the Ketoplex line of products with Nutrisentials Zen Energy to maximize your keto transformation. For more information as to where to get the Ketoplex line of products, including Whole Foods, please visit NuvoCare.ca. That's N-U-V-O-C-A-R-E.ca. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. 
Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Carolyn Tanner-Cohen, is the owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for over 17 years. She has a science background which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. For more information about Carolyn, you can visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Jamie. It's been an amazing summer, and now we got to get back to work. Got to get back to work. Well, you know, one of the things that I'm always doing, aside from doing the radio and the magazine, is I am always cooking in the kitchen. For me, Love that's it. not getting back. Like, even during the summer... Yeah. I'm full on cooking and obviously that's what you do. And we were talking about, you know, what is it that you need? What are the tools of the trade yep. for cooking? Yes. Okay. Uh, so so let's let everybody know where we stand on this. Okay. So let me just clarify though. We're talking about a home kitchen right. here. Okay. Yeah. So if you ask professional cooks how they cook at home, they generally cook pretty much the same as they do in a restaurant. Scale's different. It, the scale's different. But I'm all about efficiency. I hate wasting time in the kitchen, even when I'm cooking for pleasure, which I do a lot also. So whether it's in the cooking school or cooking for pleasure, I'm all about efficiency and I want to make this to maximize my time and not waste, you know, not only time, but real estate in the kitchen. Okay. Okay. Now, why I say real estate is because I don't like the one-use tools. I know. This okay. is an issue for you. It's a yeah, it's a big issue for me. And it's a thing with me about efficiency, but also room. Like I have, a, I have a small kitchen that's very well planned out and I run a cooking school out of it. So I really got to keep only what's necessary in my kitchen. If I have all the space in the world, I, well, I probably still wouldn't have those things. No. Okay. No. So what's a one use thing? Okay. So like a garlic press. A garlic it? press. Who would think a garlic press is a useless item? Now, for most people, it's not. I love my garlic press. I know. A lot of people love the garlic press. But for me, why not have one tool that could do it all? So I use the microplane. Okay. Okay. So the microplane looks like it used to be an old wood carver's rasp. Right. And then they sort of rebranded it and reformulated it and made it into a kitchen tool. So it still looks like a rasp, but it has to be, uh, you know, the real thing, the real Well, they're, they're incredibly sharp. They're right? incredibly so, sharp. So you can use it to grate cheese. Yep. You can use it to... Uh, zest ginger, a lemon. Zest a lemon, yeah. ginger, yeah. garlic are the big four. Yes, and even chocolate. Like if you want to shave yeah. chocolate on it, it's fabulous. It's a fabulous tool. Yeah. I just never thought... See, I look at the texture, like if you're using it for garlic, the texture's a little bit different than if you're pressing it. It is, but then that's why I have two microplanes. So even though, you know, I don't want to have too many things in the kitchen, I have 
a wide, like one that's coarser and one that's finer. You okay. need the coarse one if you're going to do ginger. Yes. You can't use the fine one for ginger. It just shreds it and makes it into juice, which is nice, but yeah. it's not ideal. Yep. So if I want to have garlic that's chopped, I use the coarse microplane. If I want to have garlic that's pureed or minced, then you use the fine microplane. Okay, what other examples okay. of, of conglomerating tools? Do so you like that, okay, well, the, another one-time use, which I think is silly, is the avocado slicer. Yeah, I don't even know what Just that is. Just use a knife. Yeah. Okay, so let's just shelf that idea. So everyone knows that Carolyn doesn't like a one-time use tool. <laughs> okay. Let's get into the things that I really, really like. Okay, so if you are going to use a microplane, there's one step further. You could get a microplane slicer that has a little thing that you take out of the back. It has teeth, and you pull the teeth in and out when you want to do julienne or not do julienne. Oh, that's interesting. I have a mandolin that I use for that. You have a mandolin. Okay, so... A Japanese mandolin, yes. which is, which is hand-operated. Right, it's hand-operated. And, and guaranteed to cut your hand at least right. so twice during its use. Exactly. So you don't want to go to the hospital. So first of all, my mandolin lives in my basement. It okay. never sees the light of day. I actually use it. Do you use it? All the time. But if you have this microplane slicer, it has a little handle, so it fits in your drawer. So if you're short on real estate in your kitchen, it actually fits inside. It's okay. called a slicer. It's by microplane, and then you it take in and out the teeth at the back, and you okay. have a julienne. The blade is super sharp. sharp. So I have something called a Kevlar glove, yep. which hockey players wear Kevlar on their neck. No, I, I've the seen goalies. these in the kitchen store. So I always tell my clients, no glove, no love. Yep. Okay. So meaning Kevlar glove, so you don't slice your hand off. I know. Okay. Yeah, which which really does happen yeah. with the mandolin. I've cut myself a number of times. Right, and those little attachment things don't work. Okay. Okay. So let's move on. So we have the microplane, the microplane slicer. We have the Kevlar glove. I'm just going to get into pans for a minute because I think it's really essential. Okay. So are we talking about baking or cooking? Cooking. Okay. We're going to get into baking too. I have an induction top, so I yeah. all, I can only use those with iron. In yeah. It. No problem. So cast iron, number one. Yep. Everybody should have a 12 inch cast iron pan. I agree. And if you want to have little ones or big ones after that, that's fine. But everyone needs a 12 inch cast iron pan. They're very, very easy to clean. We That could be a whole other show. So we'll, we'll shelf that. I like a 12-inch saute pan. Who doesn't lid. like a 12? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Jamie. No, I know. Remember, we talked about the Kevlar glove already. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a heavy quart, eight-quart saucepan. Yep. Okay, fine. And then a heavy-duty roasting pan, no lid. Yep. Okay? I agree. Okay, food processor. Okay, so what do you use? I use the Breville. Okay. Okay, I think it's fabulous. I run a cooking school with it. It's very, It's incredible. Full-size, right? Full-size 16 cup. If you have room, you need to buy the 16 cup. And it's not because the 12 cup is not big enough. It's because the 12 cup motor is not strong enough. Gotcha. Okay. So the heavier the motor, the better it is. But you need to buy the one with the adjustable slicing blade. So you could slice kale and you could slice We've nursed, or, We have the original Cuisinart, which I think has a motorboat engine on it. It does. And, you could pull a water skier off of that it, one. It is amazing. And, yeah. and we've nursed it through like tons of abuse. I think it's probably, gosh, it's got to be you about 25 years old. probably for your wedding. Yeah. Right. Okay, but they don't make it like that no, anymore. No, I understand. Right? It's used to, it was made in France, and now it's not anymore, unfortunately. I know. It's a fantastic tool. It, it was amazing. Mine died, so that's when I, I bought the Breville, and it's equally as good, Okay, not better. Okay, we have cutting boards. You need two good ones, and they should be big. So let me just say but what I mean by cutting board is the bigger the cutting board and the bigger the knife, the safer it is. Yes. Little cutting boards, little knives, you're going to cut yourself. I don't like the thick plastic cutting boards. Oh, no, they're useless. They're useless. Totally. I like, I don't know if they make them anymore. They may be environmentally bad, but we have these plastic ones that you can shoot into the dishwasher, yeah. which are bendable, which means you can use them almost like scoops if you've cut oh, you something like those? and put them into, they're not serrated, so they don't fold, okay. but they're flexible enough that you can sort of 
use them and they to have enough the, give with them when you're give, half, okay and i live by them and you can okay. you can cut them a million times and they they're almost indestructible and Perfect. if you can put them in the dishwasher amazing amazing that's of course and when you were talking about pants before i thought you were talking about sheet pants okay let's talk about sheet pants that's actually next next on my list so sheet pants i don't really use the cookie sheets the ones without right. the walls i kind of think they're useless they are right so get a sheet they're called half sheet or half jelly half roll. sheet or half sheet or full sheet yep. yeah so you could get one that's 18 inches that actually fits into a standard wall oven. Yep. So it's sort of like a sheet and a half. Yep. And they're great. And I have about a dozen sheets and I keep on using them. And I always, always, always line them with parchment paper. I was going to ask you. Yes, See, we use parchment paper too. For sure. Because because you put essential. it in the oven and it doesn't burn. Right. After 400. Right. Right. And also with the sheet pants, because they have the little edge, you don't have stuff running over. Right. And they're dirt cheap. They're like a amazing. full sheet pan could be like $11. Yeah. There's no excuse Get not to have them. Get six of them. Yeah, exactly. As, as many shelves in your oven, you need sheet pans. I would agree. So if you have two ovens with three shelves, you need six sheet pans. Okay, so you need prep bowls. That's an obvious. Glass, plastic, whatever you want to use is fine. Glass is ideal because you could throw them in the microwave. I much prefer glass. Yes, I do too. One of my favorite, favorite things are these little mini tablespoon, liquid tablespoon measuring cups. Okay. They're by OXO. So you know those slanted measuring cups that are for liquid? You could get tiny ones that measure four tablespoons at a time. So if you're making a dressing or any recipe. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah, they say like two tablespoons of olive oil. Who wants to pull out their measuring spoons, dirty all four measuring spoons to measure one tablespoon of olive oil? That's a good. That's so handy. I have half a dozen of those when yep. I'm cooking. They're all over the kitchen. Silicone spatulas. hundred percent. So they're heat proof. You put them in the pop them in the in the dishwasher when you're done with Absolutely. them. Absolutely. You need a pepper mill. Yes, I agree. Essential. You don't need a shaker like that's already pre ground pepper. Yep. They're kind of useless. Mason jars are really important. I know you have a thing about mason jars. I love mason jars because I make everything in them and they're dishwasher safe. They're cheap. You could throw them out if you lose a lid or okay. not. You need a kitchen scale. Yeah, we cooked for years without it. Yeah. But Naomi does a lot of baking, and particularly if you're using cookbooks from Europe, right. they measure everything by weight, and it's actually much more accurate. For sure. Yeah, if you ever wonder why your cookies come out dry and cracked on the top, it's because you're using too much flour. So you know that one cup of flour should always weigh four and a half ounces. Right. Standard. And if you do it by weight, it's just much more accurate. Yeah, I never take out my measuring cups when I, when I bake. I oh. always use a kitchen scale. Okay. Mm-hmm. The other thing I really love is a great vegetable peeler. Yes. Do you know what a julienne vegetable peeler no, is? No, I do not. So it looks like a standard vegetable peeler, but it has teeth. Okay. So let's say you want to make zucchini noodles. Yeah, I okay? don't, but anyway. Okay, but I, I do, and I hate those spiralizers, okay? So I use the julienne vegetable peeler, and you peel it as if you're peeling the carrot or peel the, the, the uh, oh, zucchini. Oh, and it makes strips for you. And it makes strips for you. Oh, that's handy. It's fabulous. I love it. And then the last couple things I want to tell you about, yeah. kitchen shears. Really, really good ones. Yes. That ones could cut through a bone. Yeah, no, I I have a pair, and if you, I roast and I smoke a lot of whole chicken chickens. Mm. So having those shears makes it much more easy to portion after. For sure. You don't have to be an excellent carver. No. If you have the shears, I can dismantle a chicken in like 30 seconds. I'm coming for dinner. Yep. Okay. And then a heavy duty blender. Yep. And it, that's worth the splurge, by the way. Yeah. I've been through many blenders in my life and then I finally decided to buy the Vitamix yep. and I bought it at Costco and it was about, you know, 400 or so bucks. And it was definitely, definitely worth the splurge. I've had it for 15 years. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have, but you're going to come back and talk cooking with us next month, right? For sure. I can't wait. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. 
Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. The Zoomer Show, Canada's largest expo for living well, is back at the Intercare Centre in Toronto on October 26th and 27th. There's hundreds of exhibitors, the latest trends in health, fitness, food, and travel. And there's live music, too. Plus, there's an expert panel on medical cannabis hosted by me, Jamie Busson, and a special appearance by hockey legend Wendell Clark. The Zoomer Show, presented by Chip Reverse Mortgage. You can visit zoomershow.ca and enter promo code TONIC to get tickets for only $10. That's zoomershow.ca, promo code T-O-N-I-C. The Zoomer Show. Live longer, live better. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. My next guest, David Bernstein, graduated from the Schulich School of Business with an MBA in 1992. He worked in marketing and senior management with Procter & Gamble and Reckitt Binkieser in Toronto, Tel Aviv, Amsterdam, and London. Following in the footsteps of several family members, David entered the seniors' healthcare field, acquiring Caregiver Services Limited in 2014. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? I'm good, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. So we're going to go taboo today. We're going to talk about something that people don't want to talk about. And then we're going to talk about why they don't want to talk about it. And that is death, which is a huge topic. And yeah, apparently we're all going to have to deal with it. Exactly. And I've been, we're, we're nearing almost 100 shows here on The Tonic, mm-hmm. and it, we really haven't discussed death. So we're going to do that today. Okay. So why don't people talk about death, do you think? Well, let's imagine what just happened to your audience and what their feelings were when you announced the subject today. Yeah. Everyone's probably having a different reaction depending on their personal circumstance, but it elicits typically a strong reaction depending on what you're experiencing right now. It's a provocative subject. It's one that, unless maybe circumstances have led you there, you you know, you can't imagine why you'd want to think about it or talk about it so much. But as you can imagine, uh, the population is aging. Society is facing challenges dealing with the aging population. And the subject of death Uh, mortality, uh, dealing with seniors at that uh, stage of life is becoming incredibly important to discuss. Certainly governments are discussing it a ton and people, I think, are just beginning to talk about it. Yeah, I I think recent discussions, you know, if anything, culturally, legally, we're trained not to deal with it, except to the extent that you may be planning your estate or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. God forbid, if you're dealing with an illness or you're reaching a certain age. But I think with assisted uh, suicide, the issue sort of sort of crept into people's minds. But I think people think about it all probably only in times of crisis Mm -hmm. or in times of loss. You know, like it, it only presents itself when you lose a loved one or you find yourself at a funeral of maybe, God forbid, a friend or, mm. you know, a friend's relative. And, and that's when you sort of turn your mind to it, which is probably the wrong time to think about it. You know, it's well, emotionally loaded. It's, uh, I imagine it's always emotionally loaded. But I think that any time you think about it is probably the time you should be thinking about it. It's come yeah. up, I mean, 
we've talked before, you, both you and I have uh, lost our fathers, um, my daughter's now six, and we're now beginning to talk about my dad. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm obviously not trying to harp on it or, you know, take her into unnecessary areas, but she's asking good questions and the subject has come up and she's six. Yep. And so we, you know, I try, I'm trying to paint a picture of who the man was and various other things and yep. follow wherever her mind goes. So I would not have expected that to have occurred. You and I both share a history at camp where yeah. we had to deal with that. And so we were forced to deal with it at a, at a younger age. I think we needed to deal with it and talk about it then. But then it was fine not to think about it for 20 or 30 or 40 more years. Right. And what happened is, you know, we both worked at the same summer camp mm -hmm. and there was a, a death at the camp. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were in our late teens, perhaps early 20s when it happened. Yep. And it was a horrific accident. And all the staff, we were both waterfront. You were mm -hmm. ski staff. I was sales staff. Uh, we both were there at the waterfront where it happened, and we were forced to deal with the reality of a very sudden and gruesome death. And you're not equipped for it, and you don't. Your mind, when you're in your that age, you just don't. You, you don't want to think about it. No, not at all. And uh, you know, uh, it was in the middle of the summer, so yeah. we all had to move forward and deal, which we did. And you know, to the great credit, of, I believe, of the camp directors, they handled it very well. I agree. And even to the fact that, you know, after camp, therapy was made available for those involved, and there were various yep. things that we could do. So, you know, it was not ignored. It was for those of us, you know, obviously not family, but who had to deal with it sort of hands-on, we had an opportunity to do something about it. But I guess to your earlier comment, I think that mortality, death, it's going to hit whenever it hits and how, however it does. I think, though, that as we get to our later stages uh, of life— you don't necessarily have to have a reason. And that's yeah. what I think is beginning to change. There's this new trend going on called uh, death cafes right. where there – I don't know that there's any in Canada yet, um, and I'm no expert on it. I've just read a few articles about it. But what you're seeing are these cafes opening up, these social opportunities for people without any agenda or any list of things to discuss can talk openly and freely it can be the practical, talking about wills and end-of-life decisions and anything else, or it can be spiritual or anything else you want to talk about. It's opening up the subject so people who come know that that's the discussion that's going to go on over drinks or food or whatever, and you can go wherever you want with it, trying to destigmatize the subject. And I would imagine that people who frequent these types of things or go and experiment are probably people who have had to deal with it and maybe find talking to their family too difficult or maybe they just don't have someone to talk to and they're just sharing stories or feelings or thoughts or whatever. And my sense is that that's a good thing. I agree. I think, you know, when you start, if you're not ill at a younger age and you're, you're thinking about death because you're of a certain age, I think it comes with the territory of, you know, living in the culture or the group that you've you know, been with your entire life who, you know, if you're religious or you subscribe to religion, you're going to have some very well-defined ideas as to what death means. Mm -hmm. But there are so many different religions and so many different approaches to death. I think it would be refreshing to sort of hear a different, a different perspective on death, the process of death, the mourning process. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm Jewish, you're Jewish. We deal with something called a Shiva, mm -hmm. which is a post-death uh, get together where people, you know, you're you're meant to help the family uh, work through their grief. 
but it's very regimented. You yeah. know, it's it's set for a certain amount of days, and there's things that you talk about and things that you don't talk about, mm-hmm. uh, and there's ceremonies that you have to do if you're mm-hmm. going to go through with a with a shiva in a religious sense. And I don't know whether that's something I would want for my family, mm-hmm. or and I don't know. I don't know what it means and whether it helps the process or prolongs the process or, or, or whatever. I agree that it's a it's unknowable to some extent, but my experience with shivas, with important shivas, was that it was incredibly helpful when I had the full shiva opportunity, which was seven days and right. some other periods of time, 30-day and a year, there's different right. rules for the process. But when it was with my father, it was an incredibly helpful and meaningful experience. But... I lost a grandmother who was 95, or sorry, 94, and she passed away a few hours before the beginning of Passover. And the rules in Judaism are that you stop sitting Shiva as soon as a holiday starts. Right. So my 94-year-old grandmother had two hours of Shiva. Right. And to this day, I feel a hole that that wasn't enough. That was nowhere near enough. And so on the one hand, the rules and the structure and the construct of a shiva was incredibly helpful for, let's say, experiencing my father's you know, death and, and processing right. that and time with family. But the same, a different rule applied under a different circumstance that I kind of resented. So what do you do? And, and at the end of the day, only through experiencing that, I guess, you know, I'm a, a reformed Jew, and which is a bit of a sort of uh, Jewish a la carte. And so, you know, in hindsight, uh, I guess we could have broken the rules and held the shiva longer. Right. And if it ever, God forbid, happened again, I probably would do that. I would probably break the rules and maybe wouldn't call it shiva, call it something else. And I, I would never have known that had I not experienced it. Right. Yeah, for me, the Shiva experience, it made me think this was really a construct to get me to reconnect to religion because some of us laugh, some of us are more religious than others. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like, you know, the mandatory prayers, the prayers for your father every morning that you're Mm -hmm. supposed to say, if if that's of importance to you. Mm -hmm. To me, it was meant to bind. It was meant as a connectedness to religion. And and my father, I worked with him uh, during his last years. We were partners in a law firm and I saw him every day. And I knew what he was going through with his health issues. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to remember him in a religious context. I needed, I had experienced, I, I was with him. Mm-hmm. So the, the Shiva didn't feel the same way as it felt for you with your father. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wonder. And, and I wonder, you know, with these death cafes, I wonder, are people veering into the philosophical? Are they veering into the practical? It's all relevant, right? <sighs> I guess they're veering wherever it takes them because it's just like this conversation. We right, intended yeah. to go yeah. one way and yet we're going another way because we've had experiences that we wanted to talk about or share or right. whatever. But I, I think the idea is behind the Death Cafe, um, and I guess the purpose of our discussion, because we've talked about talking about mortality, is to destigmatize it. Oh, yeah. To make it a subject that at the end of the day, there is more probably fear. Uh, or anxiety about talking about it than there actually is once you start talking about it. Because it's unknown. Because because death is the great unknown. Mm-hmm. So we fear what we don't understand. And, and I think more information and more discussion uh, is worthwhile, even though it's morose and even though it's not necessarily mm-hmm. uplifting. I think it is important. I also think that things are scarier in your mind than they are coming out of your mouth. Yes, that's 100% And true. so when you think about death but don't talk about it. You don't really get to process the feelings and you can create great fears or anxieties that once you start discussing, yeah. they lose their power. Well, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we just say that this 
interview has really sort of been a great introduction into perhaps a new series of where we're going to go. And I'd really like it if you came back and we can, pleasure. We can delve more succinctly into aspects of death, whether they're philosophical or whether they're practical, and see if we can help people work through them. What do you think? Sounds great. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome, Jimmy. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us on The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles by interesting writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie@tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss fall food swaps to boost energy, burning questions about Burning Man, and other health and wellness topics. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.